Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Yeah, good morning. I, uh, I shaved because I wanted to look nice for you, and I told first service. Then I remembered on the way here, Jared hasn't shaved since he was 13, so <laughs> it, would, it was going to be good either way, all right? Yeah, amen. That's good. Good. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. This is, this is the season of Advent, um, which means arrival. Advent means arrival. Uh, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus during this time of year and look forward to his second arrival Uh, But during this season in our church, uh, we're talking about the Christmas gifts. That's the title of the series. That's the focus of the series for this season, the Christmas gifts. And if you were here last week, um, you know we don't mean um, the gifts that are wrapped under your tree or the gifts that uh, may be hidden in a hallway closet that are going to be wrapped at 1 a.m. sometime uh, in the coming weeks, or maybe even the gifts that you've yet to get, because some of you... Um, are sick, and you like to wait until Christmas Eve to do your Christmas shopping, and I'm with you. I have that same sickness. And so uh, some of you, though, I've heard people, some people act like they enjoy that, but really that's a cover-up because you're procrastinating. And so uh, we'll just call it what it is this morning. And so here we are in our Advent series, uh, The Christmas Gifts. Um, The focus of this series is that we want to gain a deeper understanding of the free gifts available to us in Christ. The gifts that we can never earn and we certainly do not deserve. And the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus was a catalyst for the giving of those gifts and a catalyst for new life for all who would believe in Jesus. And so we're talking about these glorious gifts that are available to us because Jesus came for us. And so last week uh, we began this series, this Christmas season, this advent series, talking about the gift of his presence. And we literally sang about it. We sing about it during this time of year. Emmanuel, God with us. And because of the gift of his presence, we have the promise that we never uh, have to be alone, that we never will be alone um, in this life, on this side of eternity, uh, because of the gift of his presence that came during that first Christmas. But when we think of Christmas, when you think about it, what are some of the other words, uh, maybe adjectives, emotions that come to mind during this time of year. Perhaps for some it would be love. Uh, Perhaps for some it would be joy, Uh, maybe peace, maybe hope. And all of those, all of those are good. And yes, they are gifts that God has given to us through Jesus, but all of those can only be a reality because of one particular gift of Christmas that's available to us, and that's what we're talking about today, the profound gift of mercy, the profound gift of Mercy, and I have the definition here on the screen. Mercy is this, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone 
whom it is within one's power to punish or harm or execute justice against. That's the working definition of mercy, the gift of mercy that's available to us because Jesus came for us. That's the gift we're talking about today. And you see, if we look around us uh, during this time of year, we seem to latch on to this concept, right? We seem to latch on to the concept of mercy uh, during this time of the year, even in the world around us. Um, it's, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, which is a wonderful movie if you've never seen it, but It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, the main character's name is George Bailey, and in the end of the story, George Bailey doesn't get prison. He gets mercy. Uh, in a more recent movie, Elf, uh, maybe you've seen that one. Buddy the elf's dad, uh, in the end of the story, doesn't get recompense for his coldness. He got mercy. And in A Christmas Story, which I admit I've never watched the entirety of that movie, but in A Christmas Story, Ralphie actually does shoot his eye out with his automatic Red Rider BB gun. Uh, but he, he, he doesn't get punishment. Instead, he goes to bed that night joyfully holding his Red Rider at his side. Mercy. And in a more well-known story that we hear this time of year, A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge gets absolutely nothing he deserves. Instead, he's redeemed. Again, mercy. So we latch on to this concept this time of year. But if we're honest, maybe the idea of God's mercy has just gotten old to us. Or maybe we're too used to it, we would say. Because many of us, we would admit that we know about it, but we don't really go any further than acknowledging that in our lives. Maybe, maybe it's that we're distracted by the other gifts, the ones I mentioned earlier. Maybe the past has left some of us disappointed and just seemingly dragging along day by day through this season. Maybe it seems elusive to some of you. You, you somehow, you want this mercy of God, but it just seems elusive. You can't figure it out. But maybe for most of you, maybe you've experienced his mercy, but life has happened. You've been hurt, and the seasons have changed, and you're still here, and you love Jesus, but you've allowed your heart to drift ever so slightly, and therefore mercy has, has instead of being this marvelous gift of God, has just become another nice theological word that you might use from time to time. But... But this gift of mercy was uppermost on the minds of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zechariah, the father of John, who we would come to know as John the Baptist, as the Spirit filled them at the time as the preparation for that first arrival of Jesus. They even sang about it as this mercy overwhelmed them. And that's going to be the focus of our text this morning, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 39, but I want to give a running start here so we know what's happening. In verse 39, we're going to pick up where Mary is visiting Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is Zachariah's wife, and we're going to get more about them in just a minute, but Mary is going to Elizabeth. It's her relative. All right, so what has happened before this? Um, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant uh, with a miraculous son, John, by the way, who her and her husband, Zachariah, has conceived in their very old age. Um, they have miraculously conceived a son after a lifetime of being childless. They've received a son. Um, he, she's six months pregnant. And now her relative Mary um, uh, receives a miraculous gift. Uh, it's going to be the Messiah, 
And the same angel has appeared to both Zachariah and Mary. And so maybe Mary's going to find some solace in her relative. Maybe they're going to help each other out. She's six months pregnant. Uh, she's older in her age. Maybe she's just going to assist her. Maybe they're going to try to process some things. But this is where we're at. This is where we're at. The angel Gabriel has already appeared to Mary. Mary has conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, she responded to the angel with surrender and awe and said, May it be to me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. And so now we see her in verse 39 showing up at Elizabeth's house. And it says this, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, Elizabeth, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored, Elizabeth says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed, listen to what she says here in verse 45, blessed is she who has believed the Lord, that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. It's, very, it's, it's a true, absolutely true statement. Elizabeth says, blessed are you, Mary, because you believe that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And I, I'm not saying this is what it is, but to me, it also sounds like a little bit of a passive-aggressive jab at her husband, Zachariah. So what you're going to find in a minute is that Zechariah, Gabriel, appears to him and tells him all the wonderful things that his son will be to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah just can't believe what the angel's saying. And so he's silent. Uh, he can't speak until the baby's born. And now Mary does believe. And so her husband didn't believe, and he's struck silent. So to me, it seemed like a little bit of a passive-aggressive jab at her husband. But maybe none of you can relate to that. Um, okay. That's, no, all right, um, not me. None of you in your relationships, I don't do it either. Um, verse 46, verse 46, Mary responds to this blessing, this welcome, this greeting of her relative Elizabeth, and Mary breaks out in song. And she says this, and, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's been merciful to, to a nobody like me, is what Mary's saying. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so Mary begins her song with rejoicing for this gift of mercy. Mary describes that God has done great things for her, and the first of those great things on her list is mercy. She starts with the action of God's mercy. 
And what we see here is that this passage, this song of Mary, is very similar to the prayer, the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, and it contains allusions to Hannah's song. And we're, we're going to connect the dots in here a minute, but both of these women uh, present their modest condition because Hannah was given a son as a gift from God, uh, not conceived by the Holy Spirit, but given a son as well when she was childless um, in the Old Testament. And so both of these women, both Hannah and Mary, present their modest condition. And you see the theme of God's care for the lowly, it runs throughout uh, Luke's gospel and the gospel in general. That is the good news for us today. Both of these women praise God's attributes by using names of God. Both of these women renounce arrogance of the proud. Mary reflects that mercy is extended to those who humble themselves and confess their need for a savior and also that those who remain proud and arrogant of their own righteousness stand as enemies of God, even as he extends his mercy. Both of these women declare a reversal of fortunes and foreshadow God's deliverance. The lowly are exalted and the exalted are brought low. So who was Hannah? Hannah was the mother to the prophet Samuel, the great prophet Samuel in the Old Testament. What was significant about Samuel? Samuel was the prophet who helped usher in the monarchy to the people of Israel, to God's people. They were ruled by judges. They said, we want a king. So God sets up the prophet Samuel and he anoints King Saul. Well, Saul falls from God's grace, but there's another king that follows him. That is the greatest king of Israel's history. And we know him by the name of David. And so Samuel, in essence, helps establish the throne line of David on God's behalf, which the prophets said the Messiah would come from. And so what I see here is the sovereign beauty of God's hand and the intricate thread of God's word seeing and reaching its fulfillment. What God has promised would come through the monarchy that was set up as 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 Hannah declared that God had been merciful to her and now through her would be merciful to his people is finding its ultimate fulfillment in Mary, another lowly Jewish girl. God says, she says, God's been merciful to me and now he's gonna be merciful to all people through my offspring, who we know is Jesus. It's God's word finding its fulfillment. And Mary's experience is not only a personal one, but reflects the reversal of fortunes that people, all people will experience through her son as they trust in him. In this context, in verse 50, as Mary begins to recount the things God does, and uh, she talks about his mercy extending to those who fear him. In this context, fear is not that which is removed by the assurance of the angel when the angel appears to Mary. When the angel appears and says, uh, fear not, you who are highly favored. This is not the same kind of fear that Mary's talking about. This kind of fear, the mercy that extends to those who fear him, is a reverence that is appropriate before a holy and sovereign God. And the similarity of verse 49 before and 51 after suggests that Mary's experience is linked to God's saving actions for his people. Just as God saves his people, he also will judge his enemies. In verse 54, if we missed it, Mary's song concludes with a specific focus on God's faithfulness to his promise. Because he is merciful, he's faithful to his promises. And a focus on his mercy in keeping his promises. You see, God acts on the basis of his covenant 
faithfulness, not on the basis of his people's faithfulness. They were certainly not faithful, not on your faithfulness or mine. God has acted on our behalf mercifully because of his covenant faithfulness, because of who he is, he has acted on our behalf. Verse 55, just as he promised, Mary says, You see, those who had begun to doubt God in Mary's context, those who had begun to doubt God, doubting the Messiah would ever come, and there were many, we find in the story, they were proven decidedly wrong by the coming of that baby in a manger. But before Jesus would arrive in the manger, there was another baby to be born, and his arrival was a promise of mercy to come shortly thereafter. And so now we're going to jump forward, uh, and we're going to pick up in verse 67, but I want to give us a little, uh, a little more background. We're going to pull back a little further. We're going to talk about Zechariah that we mentioned earlier. And so Zechariah is a priest, and he's serving in the temple, and he's drawing the lot that it's his turn to go into the holiest place and burn incense as an offering to the Lord. And so Zechariah goes in, and as he's making his offering, um, God's timing, right? God's timing. He drew it by lot. I, you know, God's in the details, but, but he, he gets in there and this messenger of God, Gabriel, appears before him and, and scares him almost half to death and says, listen, you're gonna have, the Lord has heard your cry. You and Elizabeth in your old age are going to bear a son. That's shocking news. But the, he continues and says, and he, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to turn the people's hearts back to their God with a heart of repentance. And the angel is just pouring out all this that his son's going to do. And Zachariah's response is just like, yeah, how can I be sure of this? I don't know about that. I, I don't know if I can take this. And because he doesn't believe what the angel says, he doesn't believe that God's promises will be fulfilled. He's silent. It doesn't void God's promises, though. God remains faithful. One writer said this, Zechariah couldn't hear. Because of the disappointment of the past, his former experience and probably the conclusions he had arrived at when facing their inability to have children overshadowed his ability to receive God's mercy in the present. And I wonder if there's anyone here today that maybe some disappointments in the past are overshadowing God's ability, uh, uh, your ability to receive God's mercy today in your life. The mercy that he is extending to you today. He's extending it to you. And so it comes for the time uh, for, for John to be born, and he's born, and names mean a lot back then. Nowadays, if names, there's some wacky names out there. They don't mean as much in our, in our circles, usually in, in the world today. But back then, names meant a lot, and, and they carried on the name of, of their forefathers for generations and generations. But the angel said to name him John, uh, gave very specific instructions about a name, just like Jesus. And so it comes down to it, and the, Elizabeth says his name's going to be John. The people say, no way, there's no one in your family named John. Zechariah takes a tablet and writes his name as John, and his mouth is loosed. He's he's able to speak again, and this is what he says. After nine months of not being able to talk, this is what comes out of the father of John, Zechariah. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show what? To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. 
the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, then he turns towards his son, John, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation, mercy, through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun, that's Jesus, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And verse 80 says, And the child grew, that's John, and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And so like Mary, the coming of John the Baptist and then the Messiah bring the concept of mercy uppermost to Zechariah's mind and into his joyful song. Words such as mercy and rescue and redemption and salvation appear at least eight times within Zechariah's song. Here in his declaration is a direct connection between the forgiveness of sins and God's tender mercy towards his people. That's what we're talking about today, the gift of God's mercy. We don't tend to think of mercy at Christmas time. It's not, it's not the first thing that's on our minds, but that is exactly what God has given to us through Jesus. And Zechariah's prophecy is in two parts. First, he praises God, he has praised for God's salvation in keeping his promises. And then second, he praises for John's role in going before the Lord to make known God's salvation. Zechariah ascribes praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has personally come to help his people. He's not a God who's far off. He's not a God who who sent condemnation and judgment, but he has personally come to help his people. We talked about it last week, Emmanuel, God with us. He has entered into our presence. He has taken on our world to help his people people. So think about this. Since Malachi in the Old Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament, last book in your Old Testament scriptures, since he last spoke in chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 when he prophesied that there would be one come, that Elijah would come and prepare the hearts of God's people, turning them back to the Lord, uh, which would be John. The last thing he said was that, since that, there has been 400 years of silence in which God has said nothing new to his people. No new revelation or word has come to them. 400 years. And if we were honest, some of us can't sit in silent prayer for 400 seconds. You don't have to amen that. But suddenly, 400 years of silence, and the day Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple, the silence is broken. A messenger from the Lord has come to bring a message of mercy. There's no word from God for 400 years. So what was the state of things like? Spiritual leaders were shackled by tradition and even some by corruption. The ruler of the people, King Herod the Great, was a tyrant. Taxes were high, probably coupled by unemployment. Morality was slipping. The government was in control. They were dark days for the people. Does that sound familiar? In meshing the world of Jesus that he came into and the world in which we find ourselves today, priest Joseph Pellegrino uh, uh, worded it beautifully, so I want to read this. Lean into this with me here. He says, They were no different than us, those people of the ancient days before Christ. 
Sure, they didn't have technology we have, but as people, they were the same as us. They got lost in their daily routines, as we are inclined to do. They called upon God in their needs, but not their daily lives, as we are inclined to do. They were easily swayed to go along with the modern times and the new morality of the Greco-Roman culture, just as we are swayed to go along with the modern morality as presented by much of the media. For them, there was the draw of the pagan lifestyle with the deification of immorality. There were gods to be served by behaving like animals. For us, there's the draw of a new world where there's no right or wrong, where all truth is relative, and where all forms of heinous behavior are protected by the gods of political correctness. Like us, the ancients looked at the world around them and questioned the purpose of existence. After all, life was expendable. The political class used rhetoric for what ultimately turned out to be their own ends. Many areas of the government existed more to serve itself than to serve its people. Demagogues rose up every 50 years or so to lead people like lemmings off a cliff. Times change, but people don't change. We have the same problems. Left to our own devices, we find new ways to destroy ourselves and others. The people of the past, he says, cried out for a savior to free them from the power of evil, and so do we. And God, the eternal father, the creator of the universe, hears our cries as he heard theirs. He sees what our sins are doing to us as he saw the consequence of theirs. And you know what he does? He has mercy on us as he did to them. End quote. Back to Zechariah's song, this prophetic song. The visitation of this baby to be born, the rising sun, is further described as God's redemption. What we find in Zechariah's song is four pictures of what the coming of Jesus to earth means, both for the people then and for us today. And it is this, the first, the opening of a prison door. Are you bound? Are you shackled by something? The winning of a battle. The winning of a battle. The third one is the canceling of a debt. Do you have a sin debt that you can't pay? He's here to cancel it. The dawning of a new day. What does that sound like? This sounds like mercy is on the move. Mercy is on the move. Compassion and forgiveness towards those whom it is within God's power to punish and harm and execute judgment against. Yet mercy is the gift that he offers to you today. And in this context, Zechariah's prophecy included the final saving rule of God and forgiveness of sins. Whose sins? Your sins and my sins. This, friends and family, this is the ultimate expression of God's tender mercy towards the world that heaven came to meet us. Heaven came to meet us. And so both Mary's song and Zachariah's song proclaim God is worthy of praise because he has acted in accordance with his promise to deliver his people through the coming of a descendant of David. You see, God keeping his word, listen to this, God keeping his word to a sinful people is a remarkable gift of mercy because it's the thing that you and I need the most and we could never earn, no matter what Black Friday sale was going on. You and I could never earn that gift, but it was given to us just to receive. And so it's a remarkable gift of mercy. As Pastor John and Rose come and we prepare to respond in a minute, 
Paul, the apostle, he reflects on this in Romans as he's writing this letter to the church in Rome in, in chapter 6. Verse 23, he says this, he says, For the wages of sin is death, for the payment of sin is death. There is a payment for sin, there's a weight that's carried with it, and death is the result. But he continues, but the gift of God, what is it? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Christmas is about mercy because at its heart, It's about the coming of the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. Your sin, my sin, yes, the absolute worst ones about which you and I are powerless to do anything on our own. Pastor Paul David Tripp says this. He said, here's what Christmas is all about. It's a willing Savior who's born to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there is no other way. And the Old Testament, the Old Testament uh, offered proof that we were unable to save ourselves. So the only, the only way to salvation was by grace, a free gift of God because of his mercy. And it had to be a gift because we were powerless to do anything, and a gift is by definition unearned. And so the bottom line uh, today is on the screen here, God's gift of mercy His Christmas gift, his Yuletide gift, God's gift of mercy was given in a manger. Not in a pretty bag, not with your favorite wrapping paper with a beautiful bow tied on top. And and I I love that. But his gift of mercy was given in a feeding trough so that we would realize that although we are unworthy, he came for you and I. The lowliest. Nothing special about us, but he offers that gift of mercy Friends and family, this is Christmas. This is what Christmas is. Will you receive that gift today? Will you receive it this season? Will you receive it and cherish it forever? In my own life, I could recount how God has been merciful to me in so many ways. Not giving me what I deserve, and you perhaps could too. You perhaps could too. Extending oftentimes patience rather than pain. Punishment. Uh, is is withheld and instead he extends pardon extending kindness rather than condemnation author Dennis Rainey said Jesus Christ didn't come only to save you from God's future wrath he came to be your redeemer your lord and your life giver today he didn't come to give you a good life he came to give you his life because that is what we desperately need the most Would you stand with me as we prepare to respond this morning? As we prepare to respond to God's word, to this gift of mercy that was given at the first arrival of Jesus, the gift of mercy that is freely offered to everyone who will open their hands to receive it. There's some in the room perhaps, perhaps one, perhaps many. Maybe you're new to church. Or maybe you've been in church for a while, but you've never understood it. You've never responded to receive God's gift of mercy that was given in the manger. And so today, the invitation to you is this. You have nothing left to do except to receive it. Repent of your sin. Repentance just means turning from sin and turning towards God. Desiring not what what sin has to offer, but desiring what God has to offer. And receiving that free gift of mercy. 
And then there's some in the room, though. Maybe for most of us, it's not that we've never received this gift of mercy, but it's just, it's just taken, it's just taken a back seat. We haven't thought about it much. We want to love God, but, but man, life happens, and we get distracted, and the season happens, and there's gifts to be wrapped. But I invite you in this moment to slow down, to receive that gift of mercy afresh and anew, and to rejoice. I promise if it's the first time, or if you're receiving it afresh and new today, that it will cause rejoicing in your heart and in your soul. And then no matter where you are, no matter who you are, the invitation from God after that is to re-gift His mercy. And some of us know about re-gifting this time of year, don't we? You don't have to confess to that. But to re-gift His mercy, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So as we receive His mercy and we let it change us from the inside out, then He says, now you go do likewise to those who don't deserve it, offer forgiveness. For those who can't earn it, offer compassion. Regift my free gift of mercy that I offer to you today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, 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 we thank you for Advent. We thank you for this season that causes us to pause, to remember the manger but, but also to reflect, God, and, and remember that you didn't stay in that manger, but you grew up to seek and to save us from our sins, from the power of sin in our life, from the power of death, from condemnation, so that you could give us your kindness. So, God, I pray for those today who have never received this gift. And I invite them, Lord, as you invite them, to receive it today freely, to repent of their sin, to turn their eyes towards you and to receive the gift of mercy, of new life today in this Christmas season, that this would be the beginning of new life in a season where we celebrate your life. And God, I pray for those in the room that today, today mercy needs to be, to, to, to be rekindled in their heart. The rejoicing for the gift of mercy needs to be rekindled and lit afresh and anew in their life because life has happened and it's simply just become a nice theological church word. I pray today that it would become, that it would become a wellspring of joy in their life that leads to rejoicing and that each one of us, God, that when we leave this place, that even though it's hard, and God, I don't understand, I don't understand the pain that people have been caused, but I, I know that you do. That we would go forth and we would re-gift your mercy to those within our power to offer mercy. Jesus, you're worthy today. You're worthy today. As we continue to pray and we worship, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Listen, we're going we're gonna to close with rejoicing, and it's a carol we sing often during this time of year. My oldest daughter, who's back in Kid City, this is her favorite Christmas carol. But before we sing it, I'm going to invite you, not only during this song, but for the remainder of the year, to pause, to let the song, as you sing the words, resonate with your soul. Because it's not just nicely worded carols that we remember from our past, but it is, it is perfectly crafted theology. These songs are rich with the message of God's mercy. They're rich with the message of God's mercy. So consider the words you're singing and the truths that they proclaim about the Savior that we're worshiping. Because the gift of Christmas 
the gift of Jesus Christ arriving in the manger is the gift of mercy. So let's rejoice with the angels and declare glory to the newborn king. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.